Chapter 7 of Plain Tales from the Hills. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Harris. Plain Tales from the Hills by Rudyard Kipling. Chapter 7 The Rescue of Pluffles. Thus for a season they fought it fair, she and his cousin May. Tactful, talented, debonair, decorous foes were they, but never can battle of man compare with merciless feminine fray. From the poem Two and One. Mrs. Hawksby was sometimes nice to her own sex. Here's a story to prove this, and you can believe just as much as ever you please. Pluffles was a subaltern in the unmentionables. He was callow even for a subaltern. He was callow all over like a canary that had not finished fledging itself. The worst of it was he had three times as much money as was good for him, Pluffles' papa being a rich man and Pluffles being the only son. Pluffles' mamma adored him. She was only a little less callow than Pluffles, and she believed everything he said. Pluffles' weakness was not believing what people said. He preferred what he called trusting to his own judgment. He had as much judgment as he had seat or hands, and this preference tumbled him into trouble once or twice. But the biggest trouble Pluffles ever manufactured came about at Simla, some years ago when he was four-and-twenty. He began by trusting to his own judgment, as usual, and the result was that, after a time, he was bound hand and foot to Mrs. Reaver's rickshaw wheels. There was nothing good about Mrs. Reaver, unless it was her dress. She was bad from her hair, which started life on a Brittany's girl's head, to her boot-heels, which were two and three-eighths inches high. She was not honestly mischievous like Mrs. Hawksby. She was wicked in a business-like way. There was never any scandal. She had not generous impulses enough for that. She was the exception which proved the rule that Anglo-Indian ladies are in every way as nice as their sisters at home. She spent her life in proving that rule. Mrs. Hawksby and she hated each other fervently. They heard far too much to clash, but the things they said of each other were startling, not to say original. Mrs. Hawksby was honest, honest as her own front teeth, and, but for her love of mischief, would have been a woman's woman. There was no honesty about Mrs. Reaver, nothing but selfishness, and at the beginning of the season poor little Pluffles fell a prey to her. She laid herself out to that end, and who was Pluffles to resist? He went on trusting to his judgment, and he got judged. I have seen Hayes argue with a tough horse. I have seen a Tonga driver coerce a stubborn pony. I have seen a riotous setter broken to gun by a hard keeper. But the breaking in of Puffles of the Unmentionables was beyond all these. He learned to fetch and carry like a dog, and to wait like one, too, for a word from Mrs. Reaver. He learned to keep appointments which Mrs. Reaver had no intention of keeping. He learned to take, thankfully, dances which Mrs. Reaver had no intention of giving him. He learned to shiver for an hour and a quarter on the windward side of Elysium while Mrs. Reaver was making up her mind to come for a ride. He learned to hunt for a rickshaw in a light dress suit under a pelting rain, and to walk by the side of that rickshaw when he had found it. He learned what it was to be spoken to like a coolie and ordered about like a cook. He learned all this and many other things besides, and he paid for his schooling. Perhaps in some hazy way he fancied that it was fine and impressive that it gave him a status among men, and was altogether the thing to do. It was nobody's business to warn Pluffles that he was unwise. 
The pace that season was too good to inquire, and meddling with another man's folly is always thankless work. Pluffles' colonel should have ordered him back to his regiment when he heard how things were going, but Pluffles had got himself engaged to a girl in England the last time he went home, and if there was one thing more than another which the colonel detested, it was a married subaltern. He chuckled when he heard of the education of Pluffles, and said it was good training for the boy, but it was not good training in the least. It led him into spending money beyond his means, which were good. Above that the education spoiled an average boy, and made it a tenth-rate man of an objectionable kind. He wandered into a bad set, and his little bill at Hamilton's was a thing to wonder at. Then Mrs. Hawksby rose to the occasion. She played her game alone, knowing what people would say of her, and she played it for the sake of a girl she had never seen. Pluffle's fiancée was to come out under the chaperonage of an aunt in October to be married to Pluffles. At the beginning of August Mrs. Hawksby discovered that it was time to interfere. A man who rides much knows exactly what a horse is going to do next before he does it. In the same way a woman of Mrs. Hawksby's experience knows accurately how a boy will behave under certain circumstances, notably when he is infatuated with one of Mrs. Reaver's stamp. She said that sooner or later little Pluffles would break off that engagement for nothing at all simply to gratify Mrs. Reaver, who in return would keep him at her feet and in her service, just so long as she found it worth her while. She said she knew the signs of these things. If she did not, no one else could. Then she went forth to capture Pluffles under the guns of the enemy, just as Mrs. Cusack Bremmel carried away Bremmel under Mrs. Hawksby's eyes. This particular engagement lasted seven weeks. We called it the Seven Weeks' War and was fought out inch by inch on both sides. A detailed account would fill a book and would be incomplete then. Anyone who knows about these things can fit in the details for himself. It was a superb fight. There will never be another like it as long as Jacko stands. And Pluffles was the prize of victory. People said shameful things about Mrs. Hawksby. They did not know what she was playing for. Mrs. Reaver fought, partly because Pluffles was useful to her, but mainly because she hated Mrs. Hawksby, and the matter was a trial of strength between them. No one knows what Pluffles thought. He had not many ideas at the best of times, and the few he possessed made him conceited. Mrs. Hawksby said, The boy must be caught, and the only way of catching him is by treating him well. So she treated him as a man of the world and of experience, so long as the issue w was doubtful. Little by little Pluffles fell away from his old allegiance and came over to the enemy by whom he was made much of. He was never sent on outpost duty after rickshaws any more, nor was he given dances which never came off, nor were the drains on his purse continued. Mrs. Hawksby held him on the snaffle, and after his treatment at Mrs. Reaver's hands he appreciated the change. Mrs. Reaver had broken him of talking about himself, and made him talk about her own merits. Mrs. Hawksby acted otherwise, and won his confidence, till he mentioned his engagement to the girl at home, speaking of it in a high and mighty way as a piece of boyish folly. This was when he was taking tea with her one afternoon, and discoursing in what he considered a gay and fascinating style. Mrs. Hawksby had seen an earlier generation of his stamp bud and blossom, and decay into fat captains and tubby majors. At a moderate estimate there were about three-and-twenty sides to that lady's character. Some men say more. She began to talk to Pluffles after the manner of a mother, and as if there had been three hundred years instead of fifteen between them. She spoke with a sort of throaty quaver in her voice which had a soothing effect, though what she said was anything but soothing. 
She pointed out the exceeding folly, not to say meanness, of Pluffle's conduct, and the smallness of his views. Then he stammered something about trusting to his own judgment as a man of the world, and this paved the way for what she wanted to say next. It would have withered up Pluffles had it come from any other woman, but in the soft, cooing style in which Mrs. Hawksby put it, it only made him feel limp and repentant, as if he had been in some superior kind of church. Little by little, very softly and pleasantly, she began taking the conceit out of Pluffles, as you take the ribs out of an umbrella before recovering it. She told him what she thought of him, and his judgment, and his knowledge of the world, and how his performances had made him ridiculous to other people, and how it was his intention to make love to herself if she gave him the chance. Then she said that marriage would be the making of him, and drew a pretty little picture, all rose and opal, of the Mrs. Pluffles of the future going through life, relying on the judgment and knowledge of the world of a husband who had nothing to reproach himself with. How she reconciled these two statements she alone knew, but they did not strike Pluffles as conflicting. Hers was a perfect little homily, much better than any clergyman could have given, and it ended with touching allusions to Pluffles' mamma and papa, and the wisdom of taking his bride home. Then she sent Pluffles out for a walk to think over what she'd said. Pluffles left, blowing his nose very hard and holding himself very straight. Mrs. Hawksby laughed. What Pluffles had intended to do in the matter of the engagement only Mrs. Reaver knew, and she kept her own counsel to her death. She would have liked it spoiled as a compliment, I fancy. Pluffles enjoyed many talks with Mrs. Hawksby during the next few days. They were all to the same end, and they helped Pluffles in the path of virtue. Mrs. Hawksby wanted to keep him under her wing to the last. Therefore she discountenanced his going down to Bombay to get married. Goodness only knows what would, might happen by the way, she said. Pluffles is cursed with the curse of Reuben, and India is no fit place for him. In the end the fiancé arrived with her aunt, and Pluffles, having reduced his affairs to some sort of order, here again Mrs. Hawksby helped him, was married. Mrs. Hawksby gave a sigh of relief when both the I wills had been said and went her way. Pluffles took her advice about going home. He left the service, and is now raising speckled cattle inside green-painted fences somewhere at home. I believe he does this very judiciously. He would have come to extreme grief out here. For these reasons, if anyone says anything more than usually nasty about Mrs. Hawksby, tell him the story of the rescue of Pluffles. End of chapter 7 The Rescue of Pluffles Recording by Mike Harris